Father, we know that there is nothing that you've given to us that is not meant to be shared. And so, Father, would you, would you help us with that now? Would you help us to see the things that you've poured out on our life? But also, would you help us to see where and how to share? We know that nothing we have is meant for us to keep to ourselves. So would you show us how to do this in Jesus' name? Amen. All right. Well, we are going to uh, release the youngins to head on downstairs. So youngins, get on up out of here. And as the kids leave, would you just join me in praying for them just by saying, Jesus, bless our kids. And we will let them uh, meet their teachers back there and and get on going for the day. Um, We are beginning a new series today. So we've spent uh, the last six months from the, the very first Sunday in January, all the way up to last week, we have been going through together the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we are doing something new. I don't know if that's, I don't know what I was expecting there. Like, woo! Or, ah, oh, I don't really know what my expectation was, but it wasn't met. That, <laughs> that, <laughs> wow. Alrighty, we're going to go with <laughs> Oh, everybody needs a everybody needs their very own John. That's uh, I, I'll share I'll share this one with you though if you. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we are beginning a new series today, and and uh, throughout the summer, we are going to be in a series we're calling the rest of the story. Now, this takes me back to to my grandfather growing up in in northern Colorado and in, in Larimer County. He had a a red pickup truck, and I can I can still. I can still like, imagine being in that truck. I mean, that, that machine was amazing. The, the interior smelled like the, the stale cigarette smoke that he tried to hide from me until he was able to quit later, which was actually, I mean, really powerful that he was able to quit, and he quit because he didn't want his grandkids seeing. Anyway, you could smell the, the, that. Um, I remember what the, like, what the seats felt like, like the old bench seats that, you know, that would go all the way across. Like this was a, a good red Ford pickup truck. I also remember um, riding in that, especially in the summertime, riding with the windows down that you had to crank. You know, that everything in the world just felt right in that truck. Now, I think it might have been more than just the truck because years later when he traded it in for uh, a blue Ford Bronco. Now, we're talking about like the original Bronco, not like the yuppie nonsense that, that you can get today, but like the real Ford Bronco. He also had in both of those machines a radio that, that I'm not sure a lot of, uh, I mean, I'm sure some of you remember these, but radios had a dial. Do you remember radios with a dial? They had that, like, that red stick that would move, you know, and you'd have to, like, like get it, like, right on the money, but then sometimes you'd have to move it, like, to, to actually get the, the radio station tuned in. Remember those big black, like, um, almost like, like domino-looking things or, like, piano keys? You'd have to, like, that was your your uh, saved settings back then, and it would shoot that red stick over to, uh, to your favorite channels. There was really only one channel in the red pickup truck and in that blue Ford Bronco, only one channel that was tuned in in these machines. It was uh, 850 KOA out of Denver, and, and this is, uh, they, they used to call it the blowtorch of the West because it was the, the all-news station that would reach all of Colorado and into some of the, the areas outside, but it was always tuned to 850 KOA. 
A few times a day, during a break in the news or a break of the, of the shows, a, fam- a familiar voice would come on, and, and that voice would report on something, you know, a, a person, an event. Um, he, he would give, like, like, a story about something that was going on, but then he would finish the report with, with like, interesting background information or, um, you know, little-known facts, and then he would say, and now you know the rest of the story. How many of y'all grew up listening to Paul Harvey? I mean, so come on, there we go. Paul Harvey, that's on, right before Independence Day, celebrating a fine American, Paul Harvey. Actually, I don't really know if he was or not. I just know that about him. Now, as I'm saying fine American, I'm thinking, I really don't know anything about his life. And so um, maybe I'll just backtrack off of that and say I liked when he said that. <clears throat> now, the rest of the story is, is a powerful uh, a powerful point. It's a powerful concept. Now, the story that we have, the story that we've got captured here, this, this word of God in, in these pages is one unstoppable narrative of God's unrelenting plan to reconcile his creation back to himself. Every chapter in this book points to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Every chapter. One narrative, one plan, driving to completion to and through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. All of this, all of this in here is about him. All of this is through him. So with that in mind, one of our our guiding passages for this sermon is, for all nine weeks that we do this together, is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And this is what they say. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Scripture is a narrative, and the narrative from the beginning all the way through points to Jesus. The Word of God is not a collection of rules, not a list of do's and do not do's. It isn't a manual for how to keep God from being ticked off at you. And along that similar vein, this is not, this book is not a manual for lightening aversion. A lot of times my, my relationship with God is, is really about of like staying away or mitigating the effects of, of a potential lightning bolt that I'm sure he wants to toss at me because of the things that I'm doing or the things I'm thinking. This is not what the narrative that we have truly is. It's also not something that only highly educated and trained people can understand. It's an, it's an historical narrative of God's interaction with his creation and from those interactions we can pull truth about who God is, who we are, and how we can live with him in created order. This narrative is a collection of stories of all of those interactions. These stories are far from boring. One of the things that, that I think that is just is hilarious is the idea that, that scripture is, is boring. They rival, the, these, these stories, what's ca- captured in this book, rivals anything that Hollywood couldn't produce. Anything. 
the best dramas, the most amazing comedies, action, adventure, even rom-coms. My favorite genre of, of all that comes out of Hollywood is the rom-com. Favorite rom-com, uh, probably a tie, Crazy Rich Asians and Die Hard. Um, but all of, all of it, all of this, all of these genres are found in Scripture. In fact, the most die-hard moment ever is in, in Judges. Read Judges and tell me that doesn't read like something that William Wallace, like, this is, oh, I love this stuff. There is nothing boring in this collection of stories. With each story, there is, though, there's a what's next. There is a rest of the story that allows us to take these interactions and see it through the lens of purpose. Imagine if Hollywood had purpose. That's another sermon for another time. There is something that we can do with these stories, and it's from that perspective that we dive into our summer here at the vineyard, looking for the rest of the story. So if you would join me in Genesis chapter 4 for our first story. Starting in verse 1, Genesis 4. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you, if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. While they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your, bro- your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to God, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That's the story. So what about the rest of the story? So much can be pulled from this interaction between God and Cain. We can talk about jealousy. We can talk about faithful giving. We can talk about forgiveness. 
all of that stuff is wrapped up into the story. And all of those things are helpful in discerning the rest of the story. Our launch pad for us, though, is going to be in verse 1. Verse 1 of Genesis 4 said that Eve gave birth to Cain, and, and Eve said, she made the statement, with the Lord's help, I produced a man. Eve is setting us up really well for the rest of the story because in verse 2, we see that later, she gave birth to his brother. So our starting place for the rest of the story is a man and his brother. There's some depth to these words, a man and his brother. There's a relationship here, but also there is the, the, the implication of possession, right? Not a brother, his brother. His brother. With possession, we can also uh, infer some sort of responsibility, right? There, there's, if it's mine, then I have a certain responsibility to it and for it. This brother is Cain's brother. A brother for Cain to steward, to be responsible to, to be responsible for. A man and his brother. Now, after we lay that as, as the foundation of the rest of the story, a man and his brother, we, we have the interactions that lead to the death of Abel and the consequence for Cain. The interactions between brothers, also between God and each brother individually, and then a collective interaction with all three. But we have to bear in mind, in the midst of all of that, the rest of the story resides in the relationship a man and his brother. When they come to make their offering to the Lord, we see one of the earliest examples of something that we hit often in the Sermon on the Mount. We see an example of outward conformity versus inner transformation. With that, though, we also know that the decision to murder Abel was made long before he actually had the thought to do so. And we see that point by the two offerings provided to God. And, and what we see in this story are two types of offerings. One that comes from an understanding of the economy of God. One that comes from servitude to the economy of the world. Abel, understanding that, that all that he has is because God first loved him. All that he has came from God. Took that and understood that we get to give. And he gives back to God his first and his best. Cain, though, in this economy of the world, Cain's offering, he gives only what he could live without. He gives only what he was willing to part with. His offering demonstrates a lack of faith in God, but also that God is not the center of his order. He wants to have enough. He sees himself as his provider. He's concerned with giving up what he feels he needs. He's concerned with giving up what he feels that he wants. 
He's concerned with giving up what he thinks he deserves. And here we find the motivation for the decision to kill his brother. He surrendered to self. When he surrendered to self, when he became the center of his own order, that's the moment that he murdered his brother. What drives his actions is not salvation, but survival. And salvation and survival are not the same thing. Cain gives out of fear where Abel gives out of faith. Abel receives right relationship with God. And Cain receives discipline. Now this is, I'm about to give you a truth. This might sound kind of crazy. But did you know that selfish people are averse to discipline? Right? What? Come on. They don't like it. Selfish people don't like discipline. Also, we can take that a step further. They don't want discipline. Selfish people don't want discipline. We see this with Cain. Cain is angry and dejected. We don't know the specific why. We don't know everything about it. This is really the only piece of Cain's story that we have in, in Scripture. Was, it, was he dejected and angry because his selfishness was made public and he was embarrassed? Did he feel that he was unjustly corrected? Was he mad that God even expected an offering in the first place? Or was he angry that God was asking him to give something up? God that has everything, why do you need some of mine? Was it competitiveness? Rivalry? Was it maybe not being angry that, that he screwed up, but more angry that his brother did not screw up? Probably yes. To all or some or more of those things, the answer is yes. But what Cain reveals also connects us back into the Sermon on the Mount. In this way, we see the foundation that, that Cain had built his life upon. And this is what we talked about last week. Cain's life is built upon fear that's evidenced by hoarding, selfishness, concern about what's mine, Cain being the center of Cain's order. We saw in the Sermon on the Mount that, that our posture towards our stuff is an indicator of what we worship. And by extension, an indication of what foundation that we're built upon. If it's mine, then it isn't God's. We've spoken before that faith is freely giving what was freely given. But this is where, where fear gives us a picture of culture that looks more like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. That, really nobody else, nobody's seen Finding Nemo? Come on. Just so I know for future reference, for sermon preparation, would you please raise your hand if you've never seen Finding Nemo? Okay, 
So the rest of you just didn't think it was that funny. Got it. But really, in that moment, in, in, that, in that piece of cinema marveling, we have such an amazing picture of American culture that doesn't know God. American secular culture is these seagulls, mine, 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 mine. So back to Cain. And the warning that he's given in verse 7. This idea of mine. The father says to him, sin is crouching at your door. And what an image God gives us of sin in that moment. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is not a behavior, but a dangerous creature that's ready to pounce. Sin is crouching at your door. The self-centered attitude is death waiting at the doorway. Sin pounces. Cain kills Abel and gives us the context for the rest of the story, the rest of the narrative of Scripture, with one question, the first question given to God in Scripture, am I my brother's keeper? So let's see if we can find an answer for Cain. The Apostle John, in his first epistle, writes this, chapter 3, starting in verse 11. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. Remember the word righteous. We're not talking about, this isn't a value statement. Righteous means right relationship. He was operating in right relationship. He wasn't being good. He wasn't the well-behaved brother. He was the one that, that was operating in relationship with the Lord the way that it was designed. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life with them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. And this is His commandment. 
We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. There's a very unfortunate outcome of the the merging of Western culture and Christianity. It's this fallacy that that this is a pathway to self-fulfillment, self-improvement, or self-preservation. Following Jesus is none of those things. Also, any idea that one can get closer to Jesus in a vacuum is put to death with the reality that's presented in this passage. There is no relationship with God apart from people. There is no individual path. There is no way to do this without the other. The reason that Cain was a man and his brother is because the only way he could know right relationship with God was right relationship with his brother. William Barclay says this, the Christian ethic can be summed up in the one word, love. And from the moment that a man pledges himself to Christ, he pledges himself to make love the mainspring of his life. Life without love is death. Now a few weeks ago when we were traveling through the Sermon on the Mount, there's a passage we considered that included the golden rule. Matthew chapter 7, 12 through 14. Do to others what you would like, to, like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that, he, that is taught in the law and the prophets. The essence of everything in this book. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many that, that choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. The command of Jesus to love others as ourselves. He calls this the essence of the law and prophets. In other words, he says that everything that Scripture teaches is built upon the foundation of this command. Everything. To love others as yourself. Not just the Scripture that, that happened before Jesus, not just the scripture of when Jesus walked on the earth, not just the scripture maybe after the resurrection, all of it. Paul includes this in his instructions to the church, in letters he wrote to the church in Rome and in Galatia. Romans 13, he writes this, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Galatians 5.14, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Dealing with this a few weeks ago and facing it one more time today... It causes me to reflect on how impossible this task is if I try to do it on my own. We saw in, in 
the passage from, from 1 John, John made the point that love is the true indicator of a life lived, and the lack of love is evidence of death. He also makes a point that ought to land to not love is to allow hatred to reign, and hatred is murder. Anger, bitterness, contempt, competition, all of these are signs of hatred, and hatred activated is murder. Murder results in death, the death of the murderer. The act of murder occurred not when Cain led Abel to the field and beat him to death, but when Cain built upon the ground of self before brother. Alan Hodges, the first pastor, pastor of our church, often said that the word of God began with the question, am I my brother's keeper? By the end, we find the answer is a resounding yes. As true as that is, though, we're back to this how. How can I get beyond myself? How can I enter into the process where I can be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, especially in relation to obedience to and trust in God? Now, after we hear the gospel proclamation of freedom offered through faith in Jesus, after we respond to it by choosing to be in proximity with Jesus, we find that, that through the Holy Spirit, God the Father refines our image to that of his Son. He gives us the how as Jesus is set before us as a model of the form of redeemed life. Romans 8.29 says that, that for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his Son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The firstborn of the brothers and sisters. The rest of the story. A man and his brother points us to Christ-likeness, being like Jesus, the outcome of relationship with him. This is also a wonderful freedom, but also a call to do what Cain could not do. Live as a sacrifice for others. Not self-preservation, but brother-preservation. The demonstration of Christ-likeness is a costly sacrifice. It costs. We see this in Mark chapter 8. In calling the crowd to join the disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Peter wrote this for us. For God called you to do good even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. You must follow in his steps. 
He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. John fifteen twelve. Jesus removes all doubt that this one story is a story of love chosen. Jesus leaves us with this today. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. So Vineyard, as we turn back to worship this morning, this high calling is possible when we choose the life lived with God as the center of order. Functioning with God in his rightful place, in his rightful role. When we allow God to reign in our lives, when we function in the designed economy that we get to give, we live with activated faith that proclaims the glory of God through loving each other. John's epistle reminds us of this. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. And so, Vineyard, now we know the rest.